0: me free reign <laughs> on, on what we could teach. Uh, so um, but I wanted to do something related to our study of worship, but when um, I was really uh, struck last week in our conversation in Sunday school on this idea of, of value or worth and thought um, uh, of Psalm 73 is a good psalm that talks about how worship uh, reorients our perspective or reorients how we value things um, in relationship to God. So that's what I want to do uh, this morning is take a look at Psalm 73. Um, so uh, if you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, um, And I'll open in a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. So let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come this day to worship you on this day that you set apart uh, from uh, uh, the very creation itself to set into time a day that is um, holy, uh, set apart for the worship of you, to teach us how we are to acknowledge you uh, the other six days of the week. Um, so this, uh, we can think of this, this day as a time to, um, to focus on you, um, to spend a day to, to acknowledge who you are and your uh, inestimable worth, that you are the uh, holy, holy, holy God, uh, the one who made heavens and the earth And all things, and even more, the one who redeemed us by the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ, to uh, purchase us because you value us uh, so much. So we ask that you would give us humble hearts, help us to see our need for you, and help us to grow in our love and relationship with you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us uh, this morning. Teach us by your word. Uh, teach us by your spirit. And may uh, all that we do and say this morning uh, bring us closer to you. And we ask this in Christ's name by the power of that spirit. Amen. All right. Psalm 73. Uh, I'll read it for us. And then uh, we'll. Yes, Bill. Am uh, I right that uh, nine years ago you preached on this Psalm
1: 71909? <laughs>
0: I will take your word for it. <laughs> if you wrote it down, I believe it. <laughs> Bill's constantly reminding me of things that I, I did that I have no idea that I did. Um, all right, uh, Psalm seventy-three, um, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it together this morning. Okay, so um, the psalmist starts with this, in verse 1, with this statement of, of principle, you know, stating a, a theological truth. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So what causes the psalmist to almost stumble? Um, uh, to nearly slip in his faith in this conviction that God is good to His people. He was watching television. <laughs> was watching television. I I doubt Asaph was watching television, but uh, so f- flesh that out a little more for me. yeah so here he is. He stated this 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 principle that God is good to his people, and then he looks around and he sees all these people um uh you know these arrogant uh prosperous, wicked people who are uh luxuriating and I want us to like get into the degree of language because um uh you know and all this kind of poetic metaphor he really paints this vivid picture of 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 the the prosperity of the wicked and what that prosperity does to their hearts but yeah so this idea um and uh, you know it's teasing like uh, on your television answer it is so much of what our culture displays before us um you know on, on television how many shows are simply about uh, the lives of, of of wealthy people, and you know all the things that they um, pursue, and all their boastfulness um, in their um, in their wealth. Good. What else? Um, so so that's the, the the primary stumbling block. How how does the psalmist go on to describe the these wicked people? Um, they're like what? <laughs> you gotta explain these things for us, Rob. How are they like actors for things on TV? Yeah so so one part of it is their yeah their health and physical appearance they you know they're well fed uh well um kept um their bodies are are sleek smooth like so they're you know they're they're unblemished by you know the effects of of hard labor or you know um, uh, you know having to toil doesn't leave any signs on their their bodies, um, and they don't seem to have the same kind of physical ailments. Um, this idea, um, for they have no pangs until death. Uh, that could be your translations might vary on that. They have no pangs. Um, the idea is like there's no uh, suffering until the moment of their death, or there's no suffering in their death. It's like, um, you know, some people translate it with the idea, like, um, I think it was Julius Caesar, who the day before he was killed said, you know, give me a sudden death, like, that's the happy way to die, like, you know, to to die quickly, to not um, suffer from some wasting away illness. So it could be some people translate it to kind of carry that idea. Or other people translate it to emphasize that they just have healthy lives. Like, so they don't seem to have the same kind of physical ailments or infirmities that afflict other people. Um, so, so yeah, so they, they look good. Um, uh, you know, they have this outward appearance of, of healthfulness good What else? Yeah, ronnie
1: Well
0: there he mentions about the awful character behind the next version. Um they're prideful, um, they're violent, they fell apart, they have evil conceit, um, they goblins with malice, with arrogance. Um so their character signs okay, but Yeah, and and in this vivid language, like I, I love this idea, you know like um their character is is revealed through their their you know their their mouths and their actions they scoff and speak with malice like so they're they're not just um um uh privileged in terms of material things but they hold everyone else uh they despise other people they hold other people to be lower than them um they I, I again they they're their tongue struts through the earth. I mean what a, a, a vivid portrait like, you know. They're uh and you know, we we can point to as as Rob saying, many examples on television of like of people that, you know, are are just so um conceited um and they're they're Tongue, talk about themselves in ways like their tongue is strutting, like their physical appearance is strutting, but then their their hearts are revealed by their speech, that that you know they're strutting through the earth. Yeah, Tim. yeah they you know they they have it all um in that 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 picture like they have health they have possessions um and you know and they know it like and they and they set themselves up and yeah and other people are looking to them and again like the way that this is this this form of materialism is so pervasive in our culture that we have this gaze toward it and and just as uh, the psalmist talks about, you know how other people get dragged along into um, thinking, wow, this is the life. Like, you know, this is the epitome of happiness. Is are, are these people, you know, as he says? Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Because. Again, it's not just that they're prosperous, but they're they're known to be wicked. Um, as Ronnie said, they're they're blasphemous. They um, they uh, they set their their um, uh, their mouths against the heavens, like you know. So they they despise not just men, but the idea that there's a God um, who has given them these things and that will hold them accountable so they have no fear of any kind of of judgment from men or god cuz notice like they're boasting in their own sinful actions that they're they're getting gain um uh you know through um through oppression and through um you know uh defrauding other people they don't have any qualms of conscience keeping them awake at night. <laughs> yeah, he's he's looking at them and and he sees you know this outward prosperity um and you know like this this idea that their possessions have brought them peace. Um uh, their their possessions uh mean they don't need anyone or anything uh else like you know again it's this um you know uh, as Tim was saying, you know, they're almost deifying themselves. Like they're godlike in that they they don't need God, and they certainly are superior to other people, um, and and are untroubled by possessing this attitude. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those again one of the idioms are really hard to to translate from one language to another. So there's a lot of discrepancy on how people, you know, like what does this filling up with waters um and squeezing out mean? But I I think it does capture that basic idea that that people are looking to them as these 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 people are full. Um and that's the kind of um that's the kind of um you know overflow of abundance that we should be pursuing drinking from um you know that seems to capture this this idea um but it it's you know there's a lot of variation in translating that particular verse because it's an idiom that people um argue about what exactly it means good what else um uh uh, or other parts of this description of the wicked that strike you? Um, yes, Bill. Yeah, and that's the you know the theological struggle at the the root of this is he's you know the the material prosperity and ease of these wicked people are causing him to ask that question. Well, why am I seeking to be pure? Um, like if they have so much um, abundance and health and happiness why am i <laughs> you know following the, the law you know why am i um uh seeking to be pure in, in heart like it it's their prosperity has caused him to wonder about this principle that he stated in verse 1 god's good to his people then wh- why are all these guys uh you know their eyeballs are you know they're so prosperous their eyeballs are fat <laughs> um you know it, it's just like uh you know he, that's the you put your finger on the the heart of their struggle um you know that you know these people seem to be uh going opposite of god's ways not following god's commandments at all and it's calling into uh, question, or he's he's you know pondering, you know, why am I keeping myself pure if prosperity uh, comes to those who are wicked? Yeah, it, and it's focused, I think you're right, it's focused on appearance. And, you know, it, the outward appearance of these people who have pursued this purely materialistic lifestyle is that they are at peace and, and happy. Um, uh, and that's the outward appearance that they project like you know so he's he's describing what they look like and how they speak they're not displaying any sense of of inward trouble um they're just they're holding themselves up as the epitome of of happiness which but i agree with you and as we'll see like there there's actually a, an enormous <laughs> heart problem um at the root of this uh um that is gonna cause them um eternal difficulties. Um, so yeah, Yeah. <laughs> and even like some of the um the metaphors he uses still carry out, you know, in our own culture, like, you know, the the with the eyeball thing, for example. Um, you know, uh the their eyes swell out through fatness. Um and so is you could read it kind of literally that you know there's you know, they're so um gluttonous and so well fed that their eyeballs are literally swelling. Or you could read it metaphorically like the way we do, like how does a cartoon uh, convey avarice or, you know, desire of something? (laughs) You know, the eyes get big and it's that kind of portrait, like they are so avarice, like they are looking around and what they see and want, they go after and get, like it's that kind of picture but you're so right like and and it's one of the reasons I picked this psalm to sort of think about in terms of um, how worship helps us with with understanding you know how we value things uh, or and how we value God um, is because you know these words so capture I think where our culture is so materialistically Focused, um, And uh, I'm getting ready for classes and um, already, you know, prepping things and, um, you know, uh, thinking about um, uh, uh, for methods, history methods, we, we do different how ideas approach or, or affect your historical approach. So in a couple of weeks, we'll do marks. And Marx having this idea that there's only material things. That's it. Ideas, God, religion, philosophy, all of that is simply fluff, um, created to mask our material desires. So, you know, and so I've been thinking a lot about like that that captures our culture um and how that idea, like, it's stuck things are the only thing that matters, either possessing them or making sure they're redistributed uh, equally, like both ideas are putting the hope on material things, like materialism, that material matter is the only thing that has real existence, and that's the only thing we should be focused on. And that, that so captures, um, the perspective that the psalmist is presenting in the first half of the psalm. Yeah, so again, the problem isn't the material things. The problem is the heart. You know, that, that their problem is, and the problem with materialism, is that the stuff is it. Like, you know, the material things, the earthly goods, are the only good things that are good. Whereas, you know, all things are, if you have this other perspective that we'll see in the second half of the psalm, like it changes how you look at those things. It changes how you value them. They're not the... the um, End all and be all of existence. You know, it's the the bumper sticker, you know, he with the most toys wins. Is is you know, that is not the the attitude we should have towards stuff. But that's the attitude that um, these arrogant wicked have that the psalmist is describing at the first. I'm superior to everyone else because of look at all the stuff I have. Yeah, and and we and and the psalmist is open like how we get sucked into this kind of evaluation. Like it's not their problem, our and, and we're better. It's it's our problem. It's our common problem in humanity, is to focus on the material things rather than the the giver of those things. Like that is the the sin that the psalmist himself. And, and I like how he's expressing this as confession. Um, it's, it's, he's envious. The problem is he's envious of them, that he's being sucked into that mindset, like that's the sin he himself is confessing. I was envious of, of these people, and I saw their prosperity, and it caused me to question God's goodness. So it's it's coming from a perspective of the psalmist himself is confessing his attitude toward those people. Yeah, that attitude of, of you know, and, and again, that that attitude of violence that he's presenting here is because I want this. Consequences to other people don't matter. And I think again, as you like, kind of, yeah, maybe we don't have the the outwardly, oh, you know, like, um, uh, you know, stealing Nabob's vineyard kind of thing. Like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, set him up, kill him, and then take it. Like, maybe we don't have that outward violence I- anymore, or as, as visible. But the attitude of the heart is still there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, and again, it's this raising up of the self to other people don't matter, and if it, if it involves violence and oppression to get what I want, then that's what I'm going to pursue. Um, all right, so how does the, the psalmist perspective change? So this is the way he you know, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, you know, and he like this this has been the attitude of his heart, what what changes him? Yeah, when I came into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. (laughs) Like, you know, it's coming into the holy place of God, coming into this act of worship reorients his perspective. It changes the way he's looking at them. And he sees, you know, in this, you know, coming into the act of worship, it's putting things in a perspective of eternity. And not in this perspective of the immediate, you know, here and now. Um, he, he's seeing them, um, and he's seeing, or he's seeing God, and in, in the encountering God, he's seeing them, and what is truly valuable in a different light. Yeah, if I had gone around saying this, <laughs> and it's interesting, he's saying what he thought, <laughs> um, so we are getting a perspective. Um, but he's putting it, like, this is the, you know, again, from this perspective of confession, like, this is what I was thinking. And if I went around in my prophetic role, and, you know, this psalm is attributed to Asaph, Asaph, um, uh, you know, is, is, his role is in worship. And, and, and particularly we associate Asaph with, and As, the sons of Asaph with the music uh, of worship. Like if this had been, so he is in a position to to influence the people of God in their understanding. And if this had been what he I've been saying and proclaiming and leading people in, that would have been a destructive attitude. Um, yeah, he, he would have, not been doing his his role and leading people in in worship of God. He'd been destroying um, his true purpose. But instead, like and I, again, I love it's until I went into the sanctuary of God. It's like entering into the act of worship, like you know, changes perspective. Like it 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 reorients him. Um, it leads to this. Um, New valuation of the way he was looking at them. One, um, he sees their end. Like he he was only looking at their now. He wasn't looking at what's going to end, what's going to happen to them later. Um, But it it also leads to I, I was putting too much weight on earthly prosperity. Like you know, too much weight on the value of things and not enough weight on what, you know, is truly valuable, which is the presence of God. You know, verse um, uh, 20, I, I'm still learning how to use my bifocals here. Um, verse 25, I I, can't, I don't have to take my glasses off anymore. That's good, but I'm still like, I got to look through the bottom half of them. <laughs> it, it's hard. Um verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Um, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, you know, uh, Verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. Like the nearness of God, that is good. That is, you know, defines the, the goodness that God grants to his people, and all these other things that he was thinking, "Well, these wicked, they've got all this stuff, you know, and you know outward appearances, yeah, they're, they're things that I thought were good aren't doing them any good, because it's keeping them from the true good, which is being near God because um, they don't see they have a need for God. They've put their heart into their possessions, and that, that is preventing them from drawing near God, which is going to lead to their instant destruction. In a moment, he says, like, they're going to realize you know, how foolish they were to put their trust in empty things. Yeah, I, somehow I miss this because I, I never. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like you know, you you think you know in an instant, like you can be disabused of all these kinds uh, of notions, and that you know I love the, this idea. Truly, you've set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. It is their abundance of material things that's actually dragging them down. Um, I was thinking of like a couple of uh, humorous um, examples of this. Uh, um, I I, I think about um, one uh, is a character in um, the Patrick O'Brien series of of maritime novels. (laughs) Um, There's a, a French spy Um, who's a recurring character Um, through the novels and not to spoiler you know he's finally leaving England so the French spy who's been at work in England, he's finally returning to France and he's got all his ill gotten gain, you know, that he's got like, you know, and he so he's carrying all his gold uh, you know, all hidden on his person in true spy fashion and he goes to on the boat, and he mistimes a step and splash. So it, all his gold <laughs> that he was going to carry back with him drags him down. <laughs> you know. So what he thought, you know, I am secure. Uh, in a moment, you know, the very things that he counted his security on end up dragging him to his death. Oh, okay. I forgot. Thank you for the correction but but the idea is like he's he's been getting all this kind of you know playing both sides, making money by being in this you know trading and information <laughs> but his riches dragged him down. The other example is uh you know uh gilligan's island um you know in every episode they you know they have their chance to get off the island that they. They totally blow. In one episode, they find gold on this island. Um, and so, and at the same time, they recover the the minnow's life raft. Um, so they have the life raft. Finally, they're going to get off. But they're all taking their gold with them. Like, no one, is, and so the raft sinks, like, out in the lagoon. And so, like, you know, once again, they blow their chance to get off the island because they're holding on to, you know, these bad, you know, Gilligan's like, yeah, the raft sunk, and we didn't even take any gold. Well, I took one bag. I didn't think two bags would hurt, three bags, four bags. Like, everybody had their bag of gold. And uh, it, it ended up, you know, to, their, to the, their peril. And it's that kind of image that the psalmist is presenting to us. It's, it's their adherence to things um, and their um, placing their trust and their material abundance is what's preventing them from drawing near God. And so it's the very things that the psalmist had thought, wow, they're blessed, those things actually turn out to be a, a curse to them. It's like um, when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, like, and he comes and he says, "You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the second table of law, and he says, all those I've done since birth. Uh, and then Jesus, one further thing I require, go sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Guy goes away, sad, you know, because he had a lot of stuff. And he's like, he wasn't willing to divest himself of those things. And so his very riches ended up being a curse to him by preventing him from following Jesus, from drawing near God. And that's the the kind of picture that the psalmist is giving us here. Like it's this, um, the idea that, you know, what he had valued and thought, wow, you know, these people, these wicked have all these good things. He now realizes there's something better. um, And that their good things, again, are doing them no heavenly or spiritual good. Yeah, and are those possessions? And, it, and again, the way that, and our adherence to them, or our longing after them, um, our envy for them, are those preventing us from seeing what's truly good? And again, I, the the reason I picked this psalm for us to think about is is how it's wor- the act of worship, you know, leads to this reevaluation. Um, you know, this revaluation, to use the term that we used last week in terms of, of worship. You know, worship is is coming in, and, and in that act, we are acknowledging the worth or value of God as superior to, to all else. Um, and, and it's that, how that changes. Um, and in this case, for the psalmist, changes, um, you know, how he was thinking about um, the The people around them, um, and how they were putting their trust in material things, and how he himself was being sucked into that that culture of possession um, rather than seeing what is truly good is is nearness to God, the closeness of a God who has taken hold uh you know you hold my right hand, the fact that God has laid. His hands upon you and has hold of you, is what um, is valuable. Is that is what uh, has worth to it? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and in that same chapter, I actually had um, another verse you know, from that same chapter um, about this idea of contentment. Um, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like, so again, it's that idea. It's not the prosperity or the want. It's, it's your your contentment with God, That that having the nearness of God is what you really value. And so if you lack material possessions or you have an abundance of them, like you can be a rampant materialist Either way, you don't have to have a bunch of stuff to be you know, to, to be, have this materialist heart. Um, you can have nothing and still have that trust in things. Um, but so it, it's not the prosperity or the lack thereof that matters. What matters is this attitude of the heart and having God being what and the nearness of God being what gives you happiness and contentment, that that is what's good. Well, I mean, we we talk about starving artists, the starving writer, like that's a trope. So I would disagree with you that, and like, yeah, that that you know to you know so. But that's you know we we don't know specifically what Asaph's circumstances. But it, it, again, it's not his outward circumstances that matter. What matters is the attitude of the heart, and and that's what he's confessing before us is that he was being sucked into this idea that. You know, I have to have this, and I have to have that to be happy or to be able to do this. Oh, I can't do that because I have to have this and this and this in order to worship God. And he's and he's saying, no. <laughs> you know, having the nearness of God, that is what's valuable. Um, that's what matters above all other things. The, the material circumstances, um, you know, you know, we we pray every every week. You know, God will take care of our daily bread. Like we trust that God will give us what we need. What we need to pursue first and foremost, above all else, is God. Like that should be where our hearts, our our hearts desire um, lies. Not desire for adding this and this and this. If I finally get this thing, then I'll be happy. And then you get it and you realize, no, I need something else. (laughs) Like, you know, this never-ending pursuit of stuff. Um, No. (laughs) Um, Don't get sucked down that road. What what matters and what is good is to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. That I may tell of all your works. Like again, to get outside of oneself, to see one's true need isn't for things, but one's true need is to be in relationship with this God, who is the Creator and Maker of all things, and is the Giver of eternal life. Um, and to not have this relationship with God, um, and again, he you know he focuses a bit on. The end of the wicked, like their material prosperity is what actually leads to their destruction, like it, you know by blinding them to god by um, by hardening their hearts um, as as Jay used the example of Pharaoh, uh, hardening their hearts to God through their own sense of of powerful self um, self augmentation they don 't see their need for God, and over and over again. Like you see in the Gospels, who are the people Jesus helps? It's the people who come and express their need from him, for him. Who are the people that Jesus pronounces woes on? It's the people who think, uh, I've got it all together. I don't need God or anything um, from Jesus. I don't need to humble myself. Why would I do that? Um, you know, that is what leads to their destruction. Yes, sir? Um, I, I think this uh, this last verse, I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Like the idea of rather than um you know presenting an alternate. Um and again, like uh you know uh this idea like I, I again I used the idea of, of Marx earlier that, you know. Marx is critical of materialistic capitalism, but he's producing, you know, he's presenting a purely materialistic um, antidote to that materialistic capitalism, and and we're presenting an alternate to materialism, like we are um, presenting to the world that stop putting your trust in things, and and we could like we've we've used examples of how our culture has presented a materialistic vision. Unfortunately, I could spend a, an entire, you know, or we could spend an equal amount of time talking about how Christian churches in America have 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 presented this vision through prosperity gospel. Like, well, you know, it's pursuit of materialistic things and it's, that's how you show you're blessed by God. And that's not the, the message of the psalmist here. You know, we need to present um, this true valuation as that the psalmist is presenting here, that we're telling of God's good works. And if we have blessings and things, it's because of the bounty and abundance of God, but we're content with the presence of God. That's where our contentment lies. Um, whether we have things or don't, to go back to that, that image of Paul in the, in the last chapter of Philippians, it's, it's learning that secret of contentment. Um, I had this quote from Jeremiah Burroughs, um, which, again, gets this kind of application question and how we present an alternative view. Um, so uh, Jeremiah Burroughs said this, A carnal heart could be satisfied if he might but have outward peace, though it is not the peace of God. Peace in state, peace in his trading would satisfy him. But mark how a godly heart goes beyond a carnal. All outward peace is not enough. I must have the peace of God. But suppose you have the peace of God. Will that not quiet you? No, I must have the God of peace. As the peace of God, so the God of peace. That is, I must enjoy that God who gives me the peace. I must have the cause as well as the effects. I must see from whence my peace comes and enjoy the fountain of my peace as well as the stream of my peace. And so in other mercies, have I health from God? I must have that God of health to my portion, or else I'm not satisfied. It is not life, but the God of my life. It's not riches, but the God of those riches that I must have. The God of my preservation, as well as my preservation. So it's, you know, again, this reorientation, presenting this, this alternate view that counters the materialism of our culture, and unfortunately, the materialism that that so afflicts um, Christian churches in the world today. Um, all right, well, we're at time, so so let me close in prayer. But um, again, I I presented this psalm again to sort of think about this idea of. Uh, of of worship, and as as I said, I was struck by last week how we focus so much on this question of of worship involving what we really value, and I think the psalm does a good job of of presenting the kind of practical aspect of that um, through the the psalmist's confession, but then how worship um, helps him not be so. As he says, brute-like, <laughs> you know, to to just seek after material things—that that's what the—that's what an animal does. Um, as humans made in the image of God, we can see things from a, a different understanding, a different perspective, and understand things from beyond just the material. Uh, so let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, your blessing to us. Um, And uh, we do uh, enjoy uh, such uh, prosperity um, in the time period we live and in the place we live. But help us not to be taken captive by uh, an abundance of things, but help us to uh, cling to you, uh, as the one who exceeds all else uh, in value, that you are the pearl of great price for whom we sell all else in order to purchase. Uh, you are the the treasure in the field that we sacrifice all so we can possess that treasure. And we thank you for how, as the psalmist says, you've taken hold of us. And we ask that you would hold us near. Uh, we confess, like the psalmist, our hearts are tempted to stray. Uh, our hearts are tempted to get sucked into um. This, this viewpoint that esteems physical things. Help us to esteem you above all else and help us to understand that you are our good um, that, and that um, being possessed by you and being in relationship with you is, uh, is the good that we should seek and all else is just your added blessing to us. Help us now. Um, esteem your worth as we come together and worship you and to hear your word proclaimed and to share in the sacraments that you provide for us to give us grace. Uh, strengthen us, we pray. Uh, humble our hearts, but help us glorify you in all that we do and say and uh, to raise up uh, Jesus Christ uh, and to give him praise and glory by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in his name, amen.